Welcome to the Start Here podcast for web development. I'm Keith Monahan, And I'm Dane Miller. And we're here to show you how to build a career in web dev. You can find us online at starthere.fm. Hi, Dane. Hey, Keith. How's it going? Good. How was your week on uh, web development? Web development was, was good this week. I had been doing a lot of small jobs here and there, like content updates and fixing minor issues and things, kind of just throughout my day whenever they came to me. And it it totally broke up my flow and made it harder to focus on stuff. And so I kind of talked to my boss and we, we arranged to do like the content updates, the small stuff, like two specific days a week. And then the other time I can just focus. So we've been doing that this week and it has been, uh, it's been nice just to sit down and focus on one project at a time. Mm-hmm. I found I can get so much more done. That's cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I've, I've definitely found the same. I think lately my challenge has been how do you do a bunch of high priority tasks at the same time? So it's not so much little things that are stopping me. It's big things simultaneously. Mm. You know, the feeling of like needing to work on two or three different big projects at once, maybe even all within the same company, but you know what I mean? Yeah. But I think there's something to be said for focus, right? We just focus on one thing. Is that, is that not possible with what you're doing? Yeah, it is, but it's one of those things where like you you know, my week has been a bunch of roadblocks. So like you'll focus mm-hmm. on one thing, you get hit a roadblock and then you switch projects or tasks. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes I'll do that and then you hit another roadblock. I think you're right though. I think the correct way to do it is you hit the roadblock and you keep going, right? You be endlessly curious, sort of like that Albert Einstein quote, like yeah. I'm not smarter than anybody, I'm just more curious and you just keep going and going and going. But you've got eventually. a good point because sometimes that roadblock is nothing you can take care of. Maybe it's a client delay or something. That's true. Yeah, that's a real blocker, mm-hmm. I think. And I've experienced that as well. Sometimes that does happen and then it just like, you know, you're totally in the like in the moment working on this site or working with this problem and then you just have to wait. Well, and another thing is like I really enjoy having people QA with me, like Mm -hmm. in real time. Mm -hmm. So if I have to wait for somebody to QA a feature, typically I'm not going to be the type of person that can write code that's bug free on the first try. Hmm. So that that means that I need a QA cycle, right? So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, some people write code that's bug free on the first try. They're rock stars and you know <laughs> yeah not, i'm not one of them yeah me neither at this point yeah so i will get there we will get there yeah absolutely so speaking of writing code this week uh we wanted to touch on a little bit about programming a little bit about the stack so the server infrastructure the way servers and databases communicate a little bit about frameworks and applications, APIs, um, pretty much all that sort of stuff, that entire stack. Mm-hmm. Uh, we wanted to try and get at least a visual, you know, a high level sort of outline to you guys, to the listeners, um, so that it clears up any kind of confusion you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we would just want to cover an outline of the kind of the back end. Do you want to start? Sure. So the stack, as we call it, is it starts with your operating system. So each each server has to be has to live somewhere has to be running on an operating system and i guess the two primary operating systems are linux and windows and you can have your server running on that operating system doing its thing the server it interprets your language 
and com- communicates with the the operating system. And so pretty popular server might be Apache for PHP. And so the Apache server would actually take the PHP code and like interpret it and do do fun stuff and maybe connect with the database and stuff. Do you work with other servers as well? Yeah, I primarily work with Nginx, which is a reverse proxy server for HTTP and other protocols as well. So it's just, you know, another server for Unix-based platforms. Uh, It's the primary server, I would say. Mm -hmm. Cool. And we would be remiss if we didn't mention that um, Microsoft has a Windows server, uh, which is for running any number of things. Do you remember the name of it? It has a name, like a... um, Does it? Yeah, I, it's funny. I used to be uh, dot. I was in the .NET world for a while, and this this server is actually. Uh, it's thought, looked. Is it called Windows Server? I thought it was, but I don't know. So the stack, the operating system, the server, and then you'd have your database and the language. What are some different databases, Dane? We've got MySQL, which is a pretty typical one. So um, we need to make a distinction between querying languages and the actual database itself. So mm-hmm. we have things like PostgreSQL, MySQL, and then we have uh, SQL, which is the actual language that powers these databases. That is the querying language, mm-hmm. the thing you'd write store procedures and all that sort of jazz in. You'd Stuff write that your we function. use to actually pull information out of the database. Correct. Okay. Right. And then so Postgres and MySQL are really popular. Um, you have NoSQL databases as well um, that you can query sometimes with JavaScript, sometimes with other things right. um, like Redis, Mongo, DB, and stuff like that. There's a number of JavaScript-based databases coming out which store things in memory, similar to NoSQL databases. And then you have... Like they would store uh, like a like a JSON object or something? Yeah, exactly. There's some nice, really cool JavaScript projects coming out doing that. Okay. And then you have... Uh, graph databases. So that's not the only types you have, but these are the three main ones. So the graph database is popularized by certain applications. There's a number of companies building these big, complex node traversal Hmm. type databases that are completely different, and they don't have any sort of similar type of object relational pattern. The way that they communicate is different but that that's a whole other topic the the ones that you'll really know for web development until you get into the more advanced levels mm-hmm. is mysql and postgres and you'll use these throughout your entire career for for probably probably 20 years in the future right i mean these aren't gonna right. i mean they might right. go away but i don't really see it in the next five years you know so postgres is the more extensible version of mysql so i believe mysql is actually held under a a copyright or a trademark of some sort, so it's not open source, but then PostgreSQL is open source, I believe. And so they've extended it, and you can add extra stuff to it to yeah. extend what you can do. So you've got your operating system, and then your server, and your server interacts with the database, and it interprets your language. And so from languages, we have a few kind of common languages we use on the web, and those would be PHP, Ruby, Python. And I guess if you're in .NET, you would use, what, C Sharp? Yep. So just for edification, um, for the listener perspective, um, you, you probably are going to see a lot in your career in the sense of corporations that use .NET and C Sharp and Java and a lot of startups that use Ruby, Python, and PHP mm-hmm. and a lot of mid-tier agencies that use PHP. 
right? So mm-hmm. a lot of agencies that are working with clients like Nike and, and et cetera, back at least three years ago, some of those bigger ones, a lot of them were using PHP. Now it might be changing. I, I'm not so sure. I haven't really kept up on the agency world, but mm-hmm. a lot of startups are built in Ruby and Python for the rapid iteration. A lot of corporations use C-sharp because it's so battle-hardened. Uh, .NET and mm-hmm. the security, and, and, uh, and there's a history behind that. Yeah, definitely. The, so the most, uh, let's see here, so the most common web language, is it still PHP? When I started, I mean, I kind of started with PHP because when I did some research on it, it, it had like 70 or 75% of the web ran on PHP. Honestly, you have to think about this in two different ways, right? So mm-hmm. what is the most common language on the web and then what are the biggest sites on the web using i think Mm -hmm. those are two both interesting data points and i'm fairly certain that the most common language on the web is still php Mm -hmm. right we don't have to get into it but you have to keep in mind like the adult industry you know to Mm -hmm. it's the biggest industry in the in the web I think as of five years ago, I don't know if that's still true, but like they all are run on PHP. So, Mm. I mean, it's still like 80% probably PHP. Right, right. But then you have to keep in mind like the biggest sites in the world, what do they use? What does Google use to serve pages? What does Facebook use to serve pages? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Google will get, you know, about a billion unique visitors. Uh, Actually, that's out of date information, but they all run on C++, right? So they all convert their code from Go or PHP into C. So I don't know. I just think that's interesting. That is interesting. And and that's because it can be optimized like really well, right? Yes. Okay. And which we'll touch on later. Yeah. And so Ruby on uh, Ruby and uh, the the Rails frameworks of Ruby on Rails, um, that became popular because it did some sweet uh, database connection type stuff, right? The ORM. Uh, I'm not sure if Rails was the first thing to have a really nice ORM. So ORM stands for Object Relationship Mapper or something like that. Object Relational Mapper, maybe. And basically what it is is an interface layer for SQL so that you can write really nice, clean queries by just saying things like uh, model name dot all. Mm-hmm. And that will say, and then in SQL, that's the equivalent of select star from table name, mm-hmm. that, okay. you know. So it's just nice stuff like that. I don't know if Rails was the first one to ever do that, but Rails definitely popularized that for sure mm-hmm. okay. in 2006. Cool. So when we're thinking about the stack, we've got the operating system and then the server and the database and the language. And then from there, you've got, well, you could have your application, but most of the time, somebody's going to use the language inside of a framework because the framework like like rails like what we're talking about it does so much for you so you don't have to reinvent the wheel you don't have to you know write a program that connects to the database and like does all this you know crazy fun stuff those those exist it's a framework and so most people would you know they would write their application the business logic of their application within a framework because it, it gives them a head start correct so, so I guess the most popular frameworks for the few languages that we've mentioned, if you're going, so Ruby on Rails uh, mm-hmm. is one of them. The other one for, for PHP, uh, Laravel is the newest one. It's kind of the new kid on the block. It can do some pretty awesome stuff as well. It does have an ORM layer. I don't know if it was the first PHP framework to do that, but it's definitely probably the best, if not one of the best. If somebody's using Python on the, on the web as well, then you've got the Django framework. Mm-hmm. And we already mentioned for C Sharp, you've got, .NET, which runs Correct. on Windows, the Windows Server. Yep. And all those frameworks are essentially exactly what Keith said. They'll just provide an abstraction layer for the language. They'll add a lot of neat helpers. 
So typically your frameworks will have things like a date time helper. Perhaps the date time helper is part of the core library of the language, but then is abstracted from that language into the framework and then extended on even more. So like in Python, you'll have things in the OS library. Then Django will extend off of that sometimes for certain things, which hmm. is neat. And Ruby does the same thing. Okay, you brought up something that was interesting. Or Rails so does the same thing. You mentioned the, the standard library or the core library of a language. And so what is a language and what is a standard like a core library? A language is a abstraction layer to C, really, right? I mean, so all these, these languages, languages like, that we're working with. Yeah, like Ruby and, and Python and such. I, I, I know Ruby, but I'm not so sure about Python. It's like these are mostly written in C or some kind of low-level language. Then underneath of the C, there's some kind of runtime environment for the C uh, sharp code to, to funnel stuff from the abstracted code down to C to then um, the runtime, which the runtime then is going to store things in memory or do other mm -hmm. sorts of things. So the low-level language is something that communicates like with the hardware of the computer itself. And then the higher-level language doesn't have to worry about that kind of stuff. Is that essentially... Yeah, I mean, that's basically the gist. I mean, the high-level language you're referring to are interpreted languages. Interpreted languages don't have static types. So the C code will then interpret types, mm -hmm. which just means that it takes more work for the interpreter to interpret the code, whereas the compiler in a static language is obviously going to be very optimized mm -hmm. because it knows exactly what you're writing. Right, right. So PHP, Ruby, Python, these are all interpreted languages, and they're interpreted by the server. So the server sits on the operating system, and it, it interprets these languages down into something like, like C. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Okay. So we talked about frameworks and how they extend the language, and they, they allow you to do so much more. But the language itself has some built-in functions, right? Mm-hmm. So languages have what's called usually a core or standard library, and that library is written in C. There's a C API that's provided um, that extends upward to the abstraction layer, which is the language in question, so Ruby or P Python or PHP. And then that can be anything, right? So it can be like uh, for each loops. So, mm -hmm. you know, like Ruby has a thing where you can say, an array dot each do or curly braces and then iterate over. So the fat, the way that that's then being interpreted is, is it's going down to C. C is saying, okay, do I have an API for array types that is publicly available and chainable onto arrays that allows for iteration? Yes, I do. Okay, call that. Mm -hmm. Do this iteration. Awesome. Yeah, so part of that core library would be like if statements and like maybe working with arrays and trying to parse through them or update them or edit them or change them and stuff and then looping through different content so is that all of that would be part of the language yeah that would be part of the core standard library along with like you said some date stuff perhaps some you know pretty much anything right like mm -hmm. anything that's standard to the language um and then obviously your framework can abstract that yeah. And because we're in the business of giving people a broad overview, this is a funny sort of fun way to look at it. Everything in programming is a game of abstraction. So the database is an abstraction for the memory. I mean, everything is an abstraction from the memory, from mm -hmm. placing bits into memory, really. I mean, that's all it is, mm -hmm. right? So the database is an abstraction of memory on the hard disk. Uh, the database 
uh, or sorry, and then the C standard library is an abstraction for where to place stuff in the memory slots that are available on the computer. So where to store those into, you know, and then that gets translated to machine code. That's kind of fun to think about because then you, on top of that, you have your, your language that you're coding in, um, you know, Ruby, Python, or PHP. So, you know, thinking about that's kind of fun, right? When you're writing your stuff. Mm -hmm. It gives you a good foundation kind of moving forward. So if you have, you think about like a website that you were going to, uh, maybe you're going to subscribe to a newsletter. You're going to submit your, your email address. You know, it's fun to think about. You've got the the user interface which is the website a form and you put your email address in there you hit submit and then it's going through these different processes your email address gets sent to the server um, and then the the application itself the business logic is going to take that email address and it's going to maybe check it to make sure it's a valid email address and then use the framework to send it to the server which is then going to put it in a database but that's all interpreted by a, a lower level language like C or something, which then takes it and physically puts it on the disk. Yeah, so that's kind of cool to think about. Yeah, so like I guess the order of operations is UI, and then you send data to the API, then business logic, and then framework, higher level language, then C, then data cold storage, right? Yeah. That's kind of cool. So we want to make sure that, you know, as you're kind of hearing about the back end, the server side, the whole the whole stack, that you don't get too overwhelmed. Like we don't expect you to go out and understand and learn everything about the stack and the way that data is stored. Maybe if you're fascinated, sure, dig in. But that's totally not necessary. We just wanted to give you some sort of a mental framework that you can kind of use later on as you're learning these things. It is totally fine to get into a tutorial. And in fact, I don't know, Dane, would you say this is probably how you did it? Or you'd probably recommend this way to just like dive into a tutorial, even if you don't understand and you're just like, put this word here and like click on this thing here kind of a way? Yeah, so I think that your brain needs to connect Whatever the cells in your brain are or the things that connect things, that's how you know stuff. I mean, you have to have something that's connected. So if you just have a little bit of data that you read in a book once about how to do a for each loop in C, and then you have another little bit of data that you read in a book about how to do a array in C, but you don't connect those, then you're never going to be able to, you're, it's never going to be real to you, right? So. Mm-hmm. I recommend following tutorials blindly, jump into it, do exactly what it says, do Mm -hmm. step by step and just do it and don't question why you're doing it. Don't think too deeply on it. That's counterintuitive. Don't wait to start. Like we're going to recommend some tutorials for some of the languages and frameworks and stuff that we talked about, and they will be straight up beginner tutorials. And so you don't need to go in having learned other stuff it can be exhausting sometimes to think about like getting into uh, the mind state where you can focus and you can just dig in, but you have to start somewhere and this is it. Definitely. So we've kind of gone over the stack. Dane, what are some examples of what people can do with these different web languages, right? I mean, okay, so you could build, you could build a website with PHP, just a simple basic website using Mm -hmm. a few, you know, maybe some templates and stuff or so WordPress is built with PHP. So you could do that. Yep. You could build a huge application like Facebook. What's the difference between a web application and a website? There's not like a real definition, but typically a website is static and a web application is dynamic. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. that's not like a rule and it's not a law. It's just sort of a 
semi-understood thing. Okay. The way I kind of thought about it is when your website starts doing, I guess, more custom interactions and things, then it kind of is a web app. WordPress can do a lot of that functionality, and a WordPress site is not static. And so you would consider that an application. But the way we think about, you know, online services like Twitter and stuff like that, like... I don't really consider a WordPress site an application. So there is, you're right. I mean, it's, it's hard to define. I think it has to do with the complexity of the app, mm-hmm. right? So like a really complicated app is a web app. And then there's websites, which are simple apps or simple sites. They can be static or dynamic, I guess. But there is this gray area where it's like a website becomes a web app. So if you haven't chosen a language to learn for the back end, Um, We would encourage you to take a look at the resources for this episode. You can find those on our website at starthere.fm forward slash webdev forward slash six. And we'll have tutorials for the languages that we mentioned. Uh, We're going to provide stuff for PHP, Ruby, and Python. And so if you're uncertain about what language to get into, I would say go through all these tutorials. Yes, because we're going to provide the easiest and most simplistic tutorial for every language that has a framework mm-hmm. that we you know, feel compelled to do based on popularity of language. You can actually go through these tutorials. It would take you about two hours max per mm-hmm. tutorial. You could split it up over a week and say, you know, I'm going to spend this week to really find my favorite language. And you're probably going to have one that just jumps out to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and that's the one you'll stick with. Yep, yeah. and any of the ones we provide here are great for developing on the web. And there's different industries that that kind of tend towards different languages. That's something to think about. We might talk about that in a future episode. But yeah, I wouldn't be worried about choosing one or the other of these. Just whatever you're most comfortable with. So we hope that was a good overview of the backend server side stack. Uh, If you have more questions, please let us know in the comments for this episode, and we will get back to you. You can also email us directly uh, visiting our contact page on the website. We'll get you those email addresses. And we want to thank everyone for their comments thus far, and we received a website review, which we're excited about. We're going to go over that and post that soon on the website. We will share that link probably via Twitter as well. And also, thanks to a listener email, we actually have a roadmap for you guys that's going to be a step-by-step guide to going through all the tutorials and all the content that we feel is valuable that will basically mm-hmm. take you from beginner to expert level in the category. And the the listener really sent a great email to us and outlined the fact that he was confused and didn't know where to go next. Perhaps he was on, you know, maybe our first episode or maybe our fourth episode, but he was just confused because He had done this in the past. He didn't know where to go next. And we were going to do this anyway, but we were going to push it off for a little bit longer until we had some more episodes. So what you're going to see is the roadmap will have episodes that are are not yet recorded. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The way the roadmap works is it's broken into categories and levels. So it's like a table. Yeah. So, Um, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. And so um, thanks to the the email from Mark, we we went back and we, we looked at the roadmap that we were that we're going to be providing you guys. You know, we we had thought about this from the very beginning, providing this kind of a roadmap where you guys can just kind of follow these these steps, the tutorials, and then have some confidence that you'll be able to perform well and build a career in web development. So the categories there's seven of them. So front end, back end, 
kind of some admin details for miscellaneous stuff, specifically about web dev career, um, just some general topics there, lifestyle, some of the concerns and considerations that have to do with lifestyle of a web developer. Also, we'll have a category for community and networking. We think it's really important that you connect with a community and that you also start networking with other people in the industry who you can build relationships with and who might even provide you with your first freelance job. So that's exciting too. Project workflow, the whole idea of the project has stages like requirements and then document development and then web design. There's this whole process for your project workflow. So we'll go over that. And I believe that's seven. We're pretty excited about this roadmap. We spent a lot of time developing this. And we're not going to be able to roll out all of it right away. But as we have more content, we will flesh it out for you so that you can follow that to a career. And we'd really appreciate it if you left an iTunes review and possibly shared this with a friend if you have anybody that's interested in joining the world of web dev. And those reviews definitely go a long way towards helping others find out about the podcast that might be interested when they're searching for web dev content in iTunes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. We, we appreciate all those iTunes reviews. And if you have questions or if we're not covering something that you think should be covered, we yep. want to hear about it. It's been a few years since we were in your shoes, but we want to help. So you can send us emails or you can send us a message through the website and or reach out to us on Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Keith Mon, K-E-I-T-H-M-O-N. And I'm Dane Miller at D-A-I-N-M-I-L-L-E-R. So we want to thank you for listening to episode six, the overview about backend, server, and stack. Thank you. Have a great week. Bye. Bye.